Good morning, everyone. Uh, my name is Nayaswami Ananta. This is Nayaswami Maria. And we're deeply honored to have you all here today. We have our Expanding Light guests. We have our community members. We have a group visiting from Colorado. And, of course, we have our family on the Internet. So we are a, a universal satsang this morning. I'd like to read from Rays of the One Light. Why do devotees fall? I think I'll put these on. Truth is one and eternal. Realize oneness with it in your deathless self within. The following commentary is based on the teachings of Paramahansa Yogananda. An endlessly fascinating question is, why did Judas fall after receiving the extraordinary blessing of being accepted into the inner circle of Jesus Christ's disciples? For Judas was one of the twelve apostles, yet he betrayed Jesus and earned for himself the opprobrium of Christendom for all futurity for his sin. We find Judas reprimanding Jesus just days before that betrayal. Jesus, aware that his disciples would soon be facing with his death the supreme tragedy of their lives, allowed Mary to express her devotion by anointing his feet with costly ointment. This act of wanton waste as Judas saw it, awakened indignation in that disciple. Quote, Why was not this ointment sold for 300 pence and given to the poor? This he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and kept the purse and, ha- and bare what was put therein. Then said Jesus, Let her alone. Against the day of my burying hath she kept this. For the poor always you have with you, but me you have not always. Doubt not the power of delusion. Respect it, indeed fear it, though not in the sense of cowering before it. For as Yogananda said, one is not safe until he attains Nirbhakalpa Samadhi, the state of final union with God. Judas, through attunement to money, uh, through attachment to money, opened his consciousness to subtle influences, which may be called satanic, that drew his thoughts toward other related attitudes, the importance of worldly power, for instance, and of worldly influence. The Bhagavad Gita gives a graphic explanation of how easily the mind can be drawn downward once it begins to feed on wrong attitudes. In the second chapter, Sri Krishna states, if one ponders on sense objects, there springs up attraction to them. From attraction grows desire. Desire, impatient for fulfillment, flames to anger. From anger, there arises infatuation, the delusion that one object alone is worth clinging to, to the exclusion of all others. From infatuation ensues forgetfulness of the higher self. From forgetfulness of the self follows degeneration of the discriminative faculty. And when discrimination is lost, there follows the annihilation of one's spiritual life. At the first thought of delusion, Paramahansa Yogananda said, that is the time to stop it. Thus, through holy scriptures, God has spoken to mankind.
subject today is why devotees fall. Yogananda was a very dynamic speaker, a very courageous speaker, and he didn't hold anything back of the spiritual realm, if it was relevant, if it was pertinent, if it was something that God wanted him to say. And Swami Kriyananda was surprised. Yogananda, in, his, in the first lesson of his study course, said, our line of masters, Babaji, Lahiri, Sri Yukteswar, they were the three wise men who visited Jesus when he was a baby. Well, <laughs> that's a lot to swallow for some people, first time around, sink or swim. And uh, in the same light, he said of Judas that Judas reincarnated in the latter part of the 19th century. He was with the Indian master, Sri Ramakrishna. And Jesus appeared to him, Ramakrishna, and said, free him now, it's time. A dear friend of mine said to me recently, you either believe in redemption or you don't. <laughs> and, uh, but Yogananda said of Judas that he was a very evolved, highly evolved and spiritual individual. He had to have been, to have drawn an incarnation to be with Jesus, to be close to him, to be in his vibration, to be in his consciousness. And yet, the part he played, we all know so well, and we wonder at it. We think, how is this possible? How could this be possible? Someone so close, living so closely, hearing the teachings, feeling the vibration, watching the relationships and the teaching right in front. How is such a thing possible? How could he have done that? What was he thinking? What was he not thinking? What was he not considering? What, what happened? What went wrong? And this has to go through one's consciousness and it makes this story so deeply instructive on a number of levels. We could say that was just Judas, that's who he was. Blew it, done, gone, you know, there, but for the grace of God, go I. There's really something to learn there on, on, very, on a very, very subtle level. Obvious levels, clearly but very subtle levels as well. Yogananda said that every drama, every, every play, every lila, the divine dance of creation, there always needs to be a villain or we wouldn't behold goodness. We wouldn't behold the vehicle of goodness. We wouldn't behold right action. And so Judas, bless his heart, played that contrary part and again showed us very powerfully where our consciousness needs to be. But what happened there? What happened? Swami Kriyananda tells a story when he first came uh, early on in his time with Yogananda. And he was out at 29 Palms and with Yogananda. And he was invited there by Yogananda to help him, help Yogananda with writing the Gita commentary. And Swamiji working on 
editing. And it was a difficult time in the organization, Yogananda said. He said, uh, he said as much. He said, many heads will roll. It's just a difficult time. There's a lot going on. The organization is being tested. And Swamiji worked very closely, was working very closely with Yogananda, um, not always there with him. Um, he learned a lot, to be sure. Among many things, one thing that he wondered at was Yogananda's way, which he soon discovered was the Indian way that you relate and express and understand scripture. And Yogananda would say, well, this means such and such. And then he would pause the dictation. And then he would say, but it also means this. And he would say something else that to Swami Kriyananda's mind seemed totally contrary. The two were unrelated It was unclear to him how they went together, if they did go together, if they could ever go together. And things like this would happen. And he wondered at it. And then one day, this thought came to him, totally out of nowhere, he said. And the thought was, he lacks wisdom. He was thinking about Yogananda, he lacks wisdom. Totally came out of nowhere, out of the blue, and he was stunned He was stunned that there was such a thought in his consciousness because he was totally dedicated to Yogananda. This was his guru. He never moved to the left or the right. He never thought of doing anything else. There was no other path or no other teacher that meant anything to him. Yogananda was everything. Where was this thought coming from? Where did it come from? You know, sometimes in our lives, some idea comes in, some thought, and it's just like, whoa, (laughs) Whose thought is that? Where did it come from? Why am I thinking that? I don't want to think that. And that was Swamiji's feeling. I don't want to think this thought. And he didn't go into it because it wasn't something that in any way resonated with him. But there it was, this thought just out of nowhere. I remember uh, a year ago or so when I was in seclusion and I uh, had walked out into the woods by myself. I sat down on a rock and I closed my eyes. And no sooner did I close my eyes than I was aware of the wind. And the wind was, um, it wasn't just sort of an all-pervading wind. It was a kind of a wind with periodic gusts, and it was moving around me. And that was interesting, and I was just trying to tune into it. And then the wind broke up into many winds, many, many individual gusts. And they were all coming right at me, just straight at my face. And I, my eyes were closed. And some of them were dark. Some of them were restless. Some of them were illuminating. And this was all very interesting. But none of them could penetrate what seemed to be this force field of light around me. Just all this, these individual winds. And... As I was considering this and why I was experiencing this, I thought of the gunas. These are the uh, qualities of nature as they are presented in in, uh, Indian scripture. Swamiji refers to them as the eternal wanderers. And they they make up the very fabric of all of creation. Our reality, the air, the ether, the cosmos, everything is made up of this fabric 
of qualities. And some of them are darkening, some of them are activating, restless, some of them are illuminating. These are the gunas, rajaguna, tamoguna, rajaguna, and sadvaguna. And so these energies are just swirling around out there. They just make up everything that is. They are part of everything that is. And they're nothing really to us unless we, by the power of our own magnetism and attraction, bring them in to our aura, bring them in to our being. And so if some thought, like he lacks wisdom, lights in our consciousness, if we're not interested in it, it goes away. If some thought of divine love or one of the masters or something that Yogananda said comes into our consciousness and we want to hold that, it comes into our being and we associate with it and we take on its quality and its consciousness and we become it. So these energies are out there swimming around, if you will. And it's really a question of our magnetism, our energy, our thoughts, our actions that we attract certain of them and not others. Yogananda said to Swamiji sometime after that, it's because you doubted in the past that you have this to work through. And, but you know, Swamiji let go of it. He let go of it and saw, was able to hold on to Master as he really knew him in his soul. And if he didn't understand something or couldn't explain it, that's okay. You just put it aside. You deal with it later. But you keep that attunement strong with the guru, with the source. The other day I was walking on, sometime recently, on the farm road, and it parallels the school road, at one of the school roads. And Hashi, she's our uh, nursery school teacher, she's always got the little ones in their They wander through the garden and the fields and the ducks and the chickens. They're always on some kind of stroll in the morning. And I was coming down a little later and they were walking along the road and Hashi was out in front with a few of the children and a few of them lingered behind. And all of a sudden there was this little commotion starting in the group behind. It was, you know, the whining thing. And Hashi just stops, stands still, turns around. She's always calm and so even-minded. And she just said, what's going on there? And one of them said, oh, so-and-so is pulling on me. You know, this kind of thing. And Hashi just says, remember what we said about pulling. <laughs> and I just, I just started laughing to myself. <laughs> it was so perfect. It was Divine Mother and the little kids. And she was just constantly saying to us, don't forget what I said about such and such. It was just so perfect, you know, that we... We need to remember what Divine Mother is telling us. We need to remember what God, what Guru are saying to us. You know, Judas, Jesus tried to warn Judas, the poor you will always have, me you will not have always. You know, this is the incarnation. This is the one. It was all set up, but he was already too far down that road of other thinking, of thinking in a way contrary to the light, contrary to embracing the light. And so one thing leads to another. It's not that we all of a sudden get from being this very in-tune devotee to just all of a sudden 
blowing it in such a way as to just totally, you know, make the incarnation not the one we need to be liberated. It happens in a step-by-step, very slowly, very gradually. And that's why we have to be so vigilant. That's why it's so important. Yogananda discouraged negativity of any kind. He said, he, he talked about the power of negativity to just gather momentum and lead us outside of the light. And he, uh, an individual, there was, uh, at one of the centers, there was a, individual who was just sort of raising a storm, kind of stirring things up. And that was his intent. He intended to disrupt things. He intended to make people dissatisfied with the way things were and Yogananda and and whatnot. And a very devout member there got angry at him, very angry at him, and told Yogananda and voiced his anger, voiced his negative feelings about this individual And Yogananda thanked him for making him aware. He needed to know that to save, uh, you know, the project, the the work. And uh, and yet he said to this man, better to do it in a way that is harmonious and peaceful. There's no, no need to be angry. There's no need to be negative. Be careful of this. And this individual, again, a very devout member, was unable for whatever reason to relinquish that and continued to be angry, continued to get negative about other things. It just sort of went on, you know, like a snowball rolling down a hill. And eventually he left. Swamiji tells a story of an individual um, when he was there with Yogananda at the ashram. And this person came to Yogananda with some health maladies, very frail body, difficult to do physical work, and yet that's exactly what Yogananda asked him to do. For a couple years, he just gave him project after project on the physical plane, hard physical work. But during that time, that man was healthy, and he was happy, and he was in tune. And then after a while, and this is an individual, again, very devoted, you know, Yogananda, very devoted to Yogananda. And after a while, he just started to complain. And he got tired of the physical work. Other people were doing other things that were more spiritual. And so he started to complain. The work was too hard. It wasn't good. It was, it was impairing his health and this and that. So Yogananda gave him a different job. And he gave him a better place to live, made it real nice and comfortable. He gave him food that was better suited to rebuilding his body, regaining his health, all of this. And he started to get ill. And he started to get sick. And just continued complaining. And this just went on and on in this way. And then, after a while, going down this road, he began to think that well, after all, I've got much, a much better practical sense about things than Yogananda, as he said about his guru. You see, this is where it leads. You don't see it coming. You don't even see the process. You find yourself there, and it's like, how did I get here? What am I thinking? What am I doing? If we can seize hold of it, we can reroute that. But we have to be aware. We have to want to be aware all of the time. 
And so this individual just kept going down that road and because of it started taking an interest in things outside of the spiritual life, things of a more worldly orientation. And eventually just, uh, Swamiji says, all his thoughts just sort of moved around to adjust to that new way of thinking and being. And that just totally caused him to exit not only Yogananda, the teachings, just the whole thing. So again, just to beware, beware of the subtleties, the subtle aspects in our daily life about where our consciousness is. And is it allowing our energy to move up and expand and reach out and include others? Or is it turning our attention inward upon ourselves, upon the ego, to, in such a way that we're just thinking about ourselves, maybe ourselves and our project, but not much more. There just isn't room for anything else. I wanted to read, um, I work a little bit with Ananda online, and I, uh, a lot of inspiration comes through uh, the service we all do. It's, it's just so true. And uh, I wanted to read something that one of the students wrote. And uh, this was in consideration of the little self, the ego, versus the, thank you, Tom, versus the great self, and acknowledging the difference and seeing wherein how to be more in the great self. And so this person writes. <clears throat> My little self is what I call the two-year-old, stuck, mad, feeling wronged, lost, disconnected from God. Life seems dark. When my ego really takes over, I start doubting God's existence. My goal is to intervene through prayer and now chanting to keep my mind from going there. My divine self feels like a warm breeze. Everything I say comes easily. My actions are effortless. I feel as if I am moving in the direction of the light. I thought that was such a beautiful parallel to the passage in the Gita. They just totally got it. It's just so important what we are thinking, what we are feeling. And do our thoughts and feelings cause us to reside in our little self or in our great self? That's really the question. And to do what we can to move towards that greater self within each one of us, that saint within. I wanted to close with a reading from... Whispers from Eternity by Swami Kriyananda. And this is entitled, I Vow Never Again to Turn My Gaze from Thee. I take this sacred vow. Never will I lower my love's gaze below the eyebrow horizon of my constant thoughts of Thee. Never will I turn my uplifted inner sight away from thee. Never will I let my mind dwell on anything 
that reminds me not of thee. I will disdain the nightmare of ignorant behavior. I will court all dreams of noble achievement, those of love, kindness, and understanding, for they are thy dreams. Though I dream many dreams, wakefully I will ever think of thee. In the sacred fire of constant remembrance, kept ever alight on my soul's altar, I will ever behold thy presence with the watchful eyes of devotional love. Thy grace has shown me that the dualities of health and sickness, life and death, joy and sorrow are but passing fantasies. I am finished with those eternally self-canceling delusions. I am persuaded at last that there is but one abiding reality, thy eternal ever-conscious, ever-new, ever-thrilling, infinite bliss.